You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. It's a big, sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human-cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. and aliens from a thousand worlds Star Wars a billion years in the making it's coming to your galaxy this summer. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to Geek Fest France. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we are talking Star Wars poster. <laughs> I have another Star Wars poster I want to go over. This was a different one. It's completely different than anything we've seen before. It's a poster that really never made it to poster them. It's a poster that was modified and finished by a different artist and then sold at a uh, Star Wars celebration in Japan out of all places. But we're going to talk about that one. And then we're going to talk about an action figure of the Terminator, the original Terminator that I was able to find that I was completely shocked that was out there that I had never seen before. And the rabbit hole that this figure, you know, trying to find out information about it and some of the things having to do with the figure took me to through the internet as usual. So let's begin with our Star Wars poster. You can collect them all. You are a toy! Batteries not included. Get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the $6 million man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Some assembly required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case. All right, for today's poster of the month... We are going to take a look at the... All right, for today's first poster of the month, we are going to take a look at the Celebration Japan 2008 exclusive Star Wars poster. Now, this is a poster that I was not very familiar with in terms of it coming out when it did. And that is in 2008 when they had Celebration Japan. The origin of the poster is what's really interesting about it, is that this is a one-sheet concept poster that... Ralph McQuarrie had drawn. Now, McQuarrie had drawn a series of posters to be possible one-sheets for Star Wars. As you guys might remember, you know, not only did McQuarrie do the conceptual drawings for a lot of the Star Wars set pieces and characters that 
you know, Lucas used to, to sell, you know, to pitch the film as he's trying to get, you know, funding for it. But once they started using Macquarie, they kind of wanted to keep him in a way. I don't know if it was George or Kurtz or Lucasfilm in general, other people, the art department, I don't know. The bottom line is that I'm pretty sure from some of the interviews I heard that Lucas especially was pretty taken by Macquarie and he really got along with him well. And he was really good at translating some of his words into images for other people to kind of get a grip on what Lucas was talking about when it came to his ideas. And because of that, and I guess I assume the good relationship they had, not only did he do the conceptual drawings, but then he ended up doing some of the matte paintings that were used in the film, some of the art that was later going to be used for t-shirts, posters, toys, you name it, you know, the Christmas cards. You know, it was almost like they, they were looking for reasons to keep him around <laughs> and keep him working and drawing because they really liked, you know, his material so much. And we've talked about him a million times before. You know, he did, he did an exclusive Star Wars fan club poster exclusively for the fan club. Uh, so there's tons of materials that he was doing. And whether or not the material that he used was allotted for the time for a specific purpose, that's not what's important because anything he drew, they basically used it or not used it right away and then put it away. And then years later, came back and reused it for something else. And to this day, we can still see you know, a, a lot of Macquarie-inspired or directly outright merchandise being put out. I mean, if you go to Disney right now, uh, if you go to uh, Hollywood Studios, you, if you go to the Batu area, the Star Wars area, that kind of stuff, there's merchandise that is very vintage looking merchandise directly lifted out of conceptual uh, drawings. I've never seen such a large... Uh, amount of conceptual drawing uh, stuff, uh, you know, merchandised uh, in apparel and toys and, you know, you name it. it. It does seem to be having somewhat of a renaissance once again. But throughout the history of Star Wars, you know, all this stuff gets developed and all this stuff gets made. And one of the specific things that, that he was asked to contribute is on some conceptual posters. You know, do some do some one-sheet posters for, for New Hope. Now, from doing the research, and a lot of this comes from the uh, the big, giant monster Macquarie books that I have, you know, those big, 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 giant <laughs> coffee table, you know, cement block size books. There appears to be about, I don't know, three or four posters that he, he kind of shot for, and some of them he went further with, and some of them he didn't. Some of them he kind of stopped halfway and then incorporated into something else. One of the first ones he kind of dabbled with had the triangular logo with Luke, you know, right in the front and a big circle in the back for, you know, a planet in the back. And that was a, a sketch concept that didn't get too far. He then dabbled with changing the background, getting away from the triangle and doing kind of like an arch, which again, this goes back to another drawing that is out there in the mix where the characters weren't even the final characters. Obi-Wan looks like he's got that weird headgear and uh, Luke was a girl at that point and the film was called The Star Wars obviously you know that that was different too but that is a second kind of a pattern if you will the what I like to call the arch it's an arch kind of look uh, with, with the circle all of these posters obviously did not have any of the credits that you normally would because at this time you know they're still experimenting with them the movie isn't out yet obviously so they don't have a final, you know, count of who's doing what. The tagline is not even finalized yet. They kind of put just generic uh, letters and numbers and something just so you can kind of see where a tagline will fall under. The name was Star Wars, so they at least have the Star Wars name on it. Um, but even at this stage, you know, I'm talking about a year before the movie comes out and they're messing around with posters, they haven't even finalized the font for a very long time, they were using this very skinny font credited to designer John Van Hammersveld, who apparently is a very famous designer. That font didn't really see the life of day uh, as they moved forward, but that font does show up a lot on some of their uh, company letterhead, their Lucasfilm letterhead. So, again, nothing is wasted. Everything seems to kind of come back at some point. But... That was going to be the prevailing font for that 
poster for one of those posters you know he had alternate drawings where it would use a different font a more you know roman's times uh font fancy looking thing more of a uh, uh, uh like a stone uh, wall kind of uh, a letters at an angle you know different fonts and experimenting with them but for these posters for these like i said three or four posters the decision was made that they were going to stick with the uh, with the skinny one, the skinny f- frame letters. At the time, they did not have, you know, the, the race stripes, the chrome race stripe final Star Wars looking fonts. Now, these fonts are also being played around with when they're trying to develop the novelization art, which again, McQuarrie contributed to that too. Actually, I have, I think I mentioned it in the past, a copy of the paperback that has a Macquarie original drawing, a painting that he worked on specifically for the novelization. Now, what's really interesting is that at that point when the novelization was coming out or when they did come out, they had not yet decided on the font yet. They were still messing around with the font, so it came out. Even though the conceptual drawings and the the paintings and the the close to final renditions you know, had the, 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 the skinny font, if you will, as the, the one they were going to use, or at least the one that got the farthest, when they actually did print that novel, the font that they used was just a generic looking font, which is like a no frills, no thrills kind of font. But anyway, going back to these posters. So there seems to be three kind of final concepts for for his idea of what the you know these posters could look like one of them is basically the silhouette of vader with luke in the middle very simple with the word star wars underneath that one didn't seem to get too far but at least it, from what i see in the in the book here it did get a color you know version of it then he did a different one that seemed to move a little further along and that is a full uh shot of vader with his lightsaber lit up with uh Somewhere between, depending on the version, a blue or a yellow lightsaber, which that's a whole other issue. Let's not talk about that right now. We, <laughs> we've we gone down that rabbit hole a couple of times of why the colors don't match with the early work and the early merchandising. We're sticking to the skinny font uh, uh, with the word Star Wars right on top. And some kind of tagline in the bottom. But here, what they also did is they added a couple more characters, kind of like three quarters down. So you have Luke... C-3PO R2 and what could be Chewbacca, I'm not entirely sure. It's really hard to see it. It's kind of small. And then that poster morphs into another version of it that now it's getting very close to what I have here. And that is tagline on the top, unspecified, name of the film, Vader, Death Star in the back, Luke, and some more characters now on the, uh, I would say, lower half of it. You got the droids, Chewbacca, you have Leia kind of hanging on the leg portion. So that's interesting because that Leia hanging on the leg portion is more associated with the Jong or the Hildebrand versions. You know, that whole idea of almost a Flash Gordon-y, Conan-y kind of uh, pose. And we also see Obi-Wan in the back and we see Han Solo kind of off to the side. Shooting off the bottom, you also have a series of ships, uh, some Y-wings and X-wings kind of going upwards. And you do see a TIE fighter there in the mix with a big, big lower section with all the credits. Again, the credits are just a jumble because they don't want to finalize anything. Now, that's a very important one because that is the one that jumps years later into what I have here in front of me. However, there was a third poster here that they kind of went pretty far on. And again, you, you will see this arch show up in other locations. And this is the what I would call the arch. It's an arch kind of a motif where you have no Vader this time. You do have a Death Star all the way on the top and really big, big Luke and Leia. Luke is holding his lightsaber. Leia is holding a, a blaster. No, none of that hugging the leg stuff. Uh, you have Chewie, uh, C-3P, and R2 around, you know, underneath the legs, you know, on the far, in the foreground, you know, towards the horizon. And you also see the two sons of Tatooine. Omitted from this one is obviously the additional characters of Obi-Wan and Han Solo, as far as what it goes. This one's a very colorful one. There's a lot of orange and yellow because it has that, that Tatooine feel to it. And then the space colors up top, a couple of 
X-Wings uh, and TIE Fighters, you know, flying around and a Y-Wing. I would say this is the most colorful one of all of them. And as far as the initial, you know, conceptual drawing for it, this one also has a version where they did add the title of the movie and some preliminary, you know, dummy credits underneath. So th- th- this, this one, actually, you know, when I look at these concepts... I think this one is a, is, a, is a more colorful, dare I say, happier, more engaging poster. The other one is a little darker because it does have Vader and the huge, the huge Death Star, which is basically the equivalent of the arch. In other words, this uh, second to last one that we talked about that turned into what we have here makes it a much darker poster, a much menacing poster. Vader is at least half the poster and and the Death Star is at least half the poster and it seems to be practically consuming everything with the good guys in the bottom trying to, I guess, kind of like push up against the dark side. More or less, that's the motif they're going for. Now, the drawings uh, that I see here for, for as far as he got. Now, what I mean by that is that at a certain point, he submits these drawings, these paintings, which are not finalized. They're not totally finalized because, you know, all the art, all the words and all that other stuff hasn't been added to it because that's not final. But he's already told at this point, nah, that's okay. You know what? We're going to go with another artist. And uh, historically, that's what happened. You know, Jung ended up getting the, 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 the one sheet in America. Europe gets a different one. Asia gets a different one. South America gets a different, you know, they, they go in with different artists, but none of them select the Macquarie concepts uh, as the one that go forward. So these paintings kind of sit in the background and they kind of sit aside for, for years, relegated to some of the art books and some of the uh, Macquarie related, you know, this is all the work that Macquarie did kind of stuff. Some of them shows up on, on tops cards. It's like, Oh wow, that's interesting. You know, that kind of stuff, you know, that, that sometimes you'll find these old posters and you're like, Oh, that's unusual. And why is it here? You know, that kind of thing. But when all of a sudden celebration Japan was coming around in 2008, somebody decided, Hey, why don't we take one of these old Macquarie posters and have somebody, kind of update them and, and, and finish them and turn them into an exclusive for this particular convention. Makes sense. So now when we move forward, the original idea apparently was to have the artist John Alvin, uh, who's another one of these giants that we've talked about in the past, be the one to work on this. Uh, they wanted him to update it, to finish it, to give it the full, you know, one sheet poster uh, treatment. And apparently, he couldn't do it because he passed away around that time, around the time of that assignment. And the job then was reassigned to Lawrence Noble, another artist. Now, Lawrence Noble, I haven't covered yet, but his history with Star Wars is is very interesting. He initially had applied or initially had submitted some one-sheet designs that were not used but as usual, you remember anything you submit, <laughs> they take anyway, because you're still going to get paid, you know, for your work. But that work was later used, apparently, for the 10th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. He had submitted a poster, I believe, that had Vader kind of with his hand grasping a little bit towards the audience, kind of, and some ad-ats walking directly you know, towards, you know, there's there's definite movement and uh, and some uh, snow speeders. And, and you see Luke on his uh, damaged snow speeder in the bottom. Well, they kind of incorporated that image for the 10th anniversary for the fan club. So they could sell it on the fan club, that particular image. Which means they ended up keeping Vader with, you know, the very menacing looking Vader right on top. And then they changed a little bit of the inside. Instead of the uh, the adats, you have uh, you do have a Hoth kind of a, a horizon with a, the the ion cannon is there, and Luke and Leia holding hands in the snow, which seems kind of odd. Uh, you have the uh, the Falcon being chased by the Tie bombers, which is also very different. You don't see a lot of Tie bomber stuff. And that poster ended up being not only this fan club poster that they sold, but I remember seeing the, a more smaller version of that as the logo for the 10th anniversary. The, the Vader head in the angle, Empire Strikes Back with the 10 underneath and that sort of thing. So he then, from that point, jumped off to doing sculptures. He, he's a multi-talented artist. He, he, he switched uh, formats and, and he did a Yoda sculpture apparently after he saw Empire that he really fell in love with 
And he eventually, I believe, gave it or sold it to Lucas, who then put it in the Presidio, Lucasfilm in the ranch. And then they brought it over when they moved and put it in the, the fountain, the fountain that's right, uh, apparently right in front of the entrance. Uh, there's a Yoda statue. And that's the one he made. So he's, he's had a come and go kind of a life <laughs> experience with Star Wars, you know, for a very long time. But this particular time, when we're getting now to the 2008, you know, 2007, that t- that time period, he was very good friends with John Alden. And uh, when Alden died, you know, it was a very a tragic, painful thing for Lawrence Noble. And when he was contacted to kind of pick it up, you know, to pick up the project, he says, like, the, the influences that he used were not just Ralph McQuarrie, because he is finishing up that McQuarrie started. But he says that because of his connection to... Alvin, that he kind of had both on his mind, over his shoulders, if you will, while he was putting together this piece. He had McQuarrie, obviously, because the whole thing is a McQuarrie thing, but he also didn't want to try to imitate McQuarrie so much so that it turns out to be a, like a like an imitation of McQuarrie on top of McQuarrie. So he, he says he tried to infuse both the Alvin and the McQuarrie styles into this this particular piece. Now, if you look at them, there is a difference, not so much in the placement of the objects, but in the overall color scheme. For this particular poster, this Celebration Japan poster, you're dealing with the same picture. You have the frame around it changing colors. Originally, some of these drawings had the edges kind of dark with a big, big yellow flare in the bottom. In this picture, the overall poster is also surrounded or matted, if you will, by a, I don't know, I guess you can call it a dark red, almost brown mat that covers the whole thing. It kind of gives it a, I think, like kind of like an anniversary kind of a graduation certificate kind of look to it, to the frame. The original one had a lot more green kind of believe it or not in the bottom there's a color variance it goes from the you know from stars on top to kind of like a greenish sky changing color as you head towards the bottom which is an unusual color for star wars because i don't remember a lot of green in star wars jedi yes but not in star wars and the original macquarie one went again from the green and it goes to a yellow kind of like a dirty yellow that could be construed as flames, but they're not that perfect, that defined. In the adapted one, the one that he then does, the flames are more defined. Those are definitely orange flames as opposed to yellow. There's a warmth in this poster. Both the darkness and the warmth is there. The way that the characters are lit is also indicative, I guess, of that flame. It looks like they could be standing in front of a bonfire, you know, possibly. Both the old one and the new one. The old one also didn't go into too much crazy detail. You know, if you stand back and you look at the pictures, you you know who the characters are. But there's very little detail in the faces. The original one, like I said, remember, had Leia kind of holding Luke's side of the leg. She's wearing a white outfit with bare shoulders, which we kind of don't see that in Star Wars. That's a little more of that, you know, Conan Flash Gordon thing that was then done later. But what he did add here is facial features. If you, Like I said, if you take a very close look at what McQuarrie did, you know, he got so far along on the poster, but not far enough. There, there would have been more stages to this poster. And that's what ended up doing with the Noble, you know, editions. All the faces are actually more detailed. Everybody seems to be kind of in the same location and pose as you originally had him in the original Macquarie picture, except Han Solo. Han Solo, for some reason, kind of changes positions. In the Macquarie one, he's holding his pistol, you know, towards an angle and holding with both hands. On the Noble one, he's holding it with one hand, with one one hand behind kind of his back. And what's funny is that that particular pose of Han Solo, especially the hair, to me, sticks out like a sore thumb because that hair is something that apparently, I believe, came from a photo shoot that Harrison Ford did probably later after Star Wars was done or at some point where he was already done and he must have cut his hair for another film. And that doesn't really match, you know, the hair that you see on on the movie. Uh, Luke 
kind of looks okay. Obi-Wan looks really good. You know, the, the Allegheny's features. I would say out of all of them, Princess Leia probably looks the least like Carrie Fisher. It just doesn't really hit you in that way. The ships that are flying in the background, again, way, way more detail, you know, for the Noble version. The X-Wing specifically that McQuarrie drew, to me, looks like it, the, you know, the center round part is way too big, out of proportion, uh, which is something that I assume he would have fixed, you know, if he was allowed to go further with it. Uh, the other thing that Noble added to the right, like next to Han Solo, is uh, a moisture evaporator and the two suns. Very small on the side, kind of like a little extra bonus in an area to, to kind of give it a little more so it's not just an empty space. The poster has both McQuarrie, his initials, and Noble's name in the bottom right. Vader, again, more detailed. This Vader has a red-tinted lightsaber as opposed to the blue one that McQuarrie had because, again, the, the colors hadn't been figured out. Luke is, you know, the, the proper lightsaber uh, color. What's funny about the lightsabers is that at this point, I think... They were still kind of, I guess, trying to figure out exactly how the lightsabers are going to look like. But you figure they would have shot it already by then and they would have had the props. I don't know. Because the bottom line is that these lightsabers look more like, like an ice cream cone. You know, like instead of a solid cylinder, you know, that is equally, you know, the same. It seems to have a bigger hilt, a bigger rounder hilt. Kind of like an ice cream cone effect, if you will. So that's 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 really cool and, and different. The uh, Death Star, they did make a correction in the poster, which is really and and the revision of the poster which is really good and that is in the original one the dish intercepts the trench so the dish is kind of in the middle as the trench goes kind of through it but in the movie i believe for the movie or once they got closer to building and figuring out what they're doing you have the dish above the trench this way the trench can go all the way around the circumference of the uh, sphere without any objects in the way like a dish. So that's kind of neat. You have Star Wars on top. Like I mentioned before, they use the the, the skinny Timersveld design for the logo. And you have A Long Time Ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away, which takes the place of the placeholder letters that they put there before just to kind of save the space. Now, below the painting perimeter, you know, if you will, in the matted area, where originally the matted area was white, which now is kind of like a reddish brown, uh, you do have some credits, actual credits. They're not the entire credits, but they're basic credits. 20th Century Fox presents Lucasfilm Limited Production, Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Cushing, and Alec Guinness, written directed by George Lucas, produced by Gary Kurtz, music by John Williams. Then you have some of the logos and the uh, the PG rating. On the left, you have 20th Century Fox. And on the right, you have the logo for Celebration Japan. So that makes it officially that piece. This is a, a really nice piece. It is still available. I think Dreams and Vision Press is the place where I got them, which is the place where they uh, officially sell, you know, the, the, the Macquarie books and prints and, uh, you know, old Macquarie officially licensed material. I like this. This is a really cool thing because you start to find these old posters that never saw the light of day. And for one reason or another, they were able to find an artist that could enhance and continue them and finish them off. This isn't the first time that something like this has been done. I think Dreams and Vision Press a while back did a uh, another continuation, if you will, of a Macquarie unfinished poster, and that was, I believe, the Ice Castle, Vader's Castle. That was a concept, I think, could have been for Empire, I'm not sure, that was later finished by another artist, you know, and sold as a piece. But this one, because it's an actual movie poster, you could kind of say it's from a, an alternate reality where they did pick Macquarie's poster instead of the other two or the other three. But you know, looking at it and thinking about the other posters, I am so used to the other ones that it is a little difficult to say, oh yeah, this one is a much better, but I don't think so. I think the other ones were, they picked some pretty good ones, but this one definitely would have been in the running. Again, my major complaint, if you will, about it would be Han Solo. That picture should not have been used. And I would also say Leia, her face is just not 100% there. The other ones are pretty dead-on renditions. The color of the bottom, the green and the yellow, which is something that started with the original Macquarie picture. Those colors are not pleasant. They don't pop. 
they're just you know like a pea soup green kind of like ugh. it just it's not a good color the other poster that i mentioned earlier the last one with all the orange and yellow and you know that's a much more pleasant poster to me it reminds me a little bit of the uh the old uh, Macquarie Bounty Hunter poster they did for the, I think it was for the fan club, where you have all the bounty hunters in line, and it's very orange and very yellow and red because it's supposed to be Cloud City, I think, and everybody is glowing from that warmth. This poster, even though the fire is supposed to signify, you know, the warmth, I think the green just kind of has a bad effect. It just it does something that shouldn't be done, <laughs> especially for Star Wars. Again, if if you were doing a poster that had to do with Return of the Jedi, that's a whole different animal you're dealing with. But with Star Wars, you know, the primary colors of Star Wars are, you know, the dark colors for the Empire, obviously. And for the Rebellion, or at least for Luke, you got to have the Tatooine yellows. You have to have those orange and reds and yellows that are signified. Now, granted, part of it is there with the flames and the way that the, the light bounces off their faces. It's there. But I think what happens is the green just kind of sucks the life out of it. It kind of clashes. It just clashes and it, it throws you a little bit out of whack. The poster is, I do in, in, uh, appreciate the fact that you're seeing both the good guys and the bad guys. So you see the, the conflict right there. And the fact that the Death Star itself is such an overwhelming character in the poster. That's also something that you don't see too often. The other thing is that in a lot of these posters, if you think back to the um, the ones that were eventually used, they try not to put too much into them because they want to hold off some characters for surprises. I believe the droids were there in most of the other posters, but Obi-Wan and Han and Chewie are usually not there because those are secondary characters that they kind of save, you know, for, for you to watch. Again, this is all subjective, obviously, because it's, it's art. But in spite of its flaws... I really like this poster. I, again, I wouldn't put it as my number one pick. They should have used this instead of the other. But no, I like the fact that, you know, when somebody like Mumquery is given that assignment, you know, this is his vision of what the film represents as a whole. Not just a section, not just a scene, but to him, that's what it was. Even though there were three or four different to pick from, you know, this is one of the ones that... And, and the other ones have the same issue and that is that they never got super super all the way to the end with the renditions they look good but when you really get close to them you see that the faces don't have you know all of that detail to be a final print so here's one that somebody actually you know took it all the way through Are you a genre TV, film, sci-fi, horror, fantasy, toy, and convention nerd? Nerd! 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 Do you enjoy listening to podcasts? It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Do you ever wish you could co-host a podcast? Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I'm, I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't mind you playing it, but lower it. This just might be your chance. Somebody help me! Help me! Shut up! Geekfest Rants is looking for new co-hosts. If you're interested, go to our homepage at geekfestrants.com and click on the hosting icon for more information. All right, as a sort of bonus review on my hands here, I have a The Terminator NECA slash Real Toys figure. Now, this is more or less your typical NECA you know, six, seven inch figure. But this is one I had never seen before and I have no idea how I how I missed it. It's from the movie The Terminator, which is a little bit unusual as far as I'm concerned because most of the merchandising that we see, at least that I've seen, is for Terminator 2. Terminator 2 seems to have a much, much wider appeal. And not only that, but this is a very specific figure of the Terminator. This is the obviously the Schwarzenegger Terminator figure. He's wearing the the black boots, the dark brownish kind of pants, the leather jacket, the gray shirt, and his facial features are pretty spot on. I might have seen something like this from a, probably like another company that they do much higher 
price point and detail scale, you know, like a master replica or, or sideshow, you know, one of those kind of companies. But I can't, you know, I can't afford those. But this is the first time I've actually seen it in this format, the format that I, you know, especially for NECA, kind of like, you know, the thing that I, you know, the, the, the McCready thing figures, you know, all those kind of figures that I like to collect, you know, it's in that scale. This came out in 2015, so I have no idea how or why I completely <laughs> missed it. It is just absolutely fantastic. The figure comes with three different heads that are interchangeable. You have the undamaged head with the gargoyle sunglasses, you know, from the poster. It's perfect. The sculpt is very, very good. And it's funny because you can exchange the heads. You can go from that one with the sunglasses to the one with without sunglasses and the damaged eye. And there you can see much better, you know, the sculpt of Schwarzenegger's eye and, and his cheekbones a little better that you can't see because the glasses kind of hide a lot of that. Now, granted, if you really think about it, the one with the glasses is really the damaged one anyway because... If you remember, I think in the movie, he puts on the glasses to cover his his damaged eye. And then the third head that you can pop on is a, a really damaged face. One half of his face is like all scraped up and bloody. And you can see, you know, the metal shining through a lot of that. So you have those three heads to pop on. You have an extra set of hands, if you want, which are exactly like the hands that come with the figure, except these are scraped up and bloody. You know, as he takes on more damage, uh, more firepower. Speaking of firepower, you have three weapons that come with this figure. And I'll tell you the names because I found the website. Believe it or not, I, I couldn't imagine this existed. I didn't actually does it. And you figure if somebody can think of it, it exists. There's a website which is like a wiki of weapons used on films. And this particular one, uh, let's see, it's called the Internet Movie Firearm Database, which... It's funny because like this is like the last website I would ever <laughs> visit. But again, for movie purposes, I like the fact that you can base it on some sort of reality of things that actually do exist. You know, so stripping away all the politics associated with this, I like the fact that, you know, there's so much detail that somebody went into and there's pictures of props and, and at least they give you the history of these unmodified weapons and what they look like and then you can kind of compare. Oh, see, they took this piece out, they added this piece in for the movie, but unfortunately the gun that it does not come with, but I guess it's because of the scene that this particular figure, you know, is a part of. You gotta remember in the Terminator, you know, when we first see him and he steals that, the like the punk's clothing, he's wearing that big kind of grayish overcoat, kind of light gray overcoat uh, that he takes into the beginning of the movie when, when he's hunting Sarah down and then at the uh, nightclub uh, that he takes a lot of damage in that. Now, after he chases them around, you know, and all that stuff and his hair gets all puffed up because of the fire, you know, he punches through the windshield and, and, and he's on fire and all that stuff. I think that's when he then returns to the that hotel or motel or whatever place he is and he does that surgery on his eyes and that's when he puts on the leather jacket. The leather, so we, I guess what we should understand or is that he, he, the only thing he's really doing is getting an additional jacket. Now, I forget where the jacket comes from. Maybe the, I don't know if the, if the punk guy was wearing it underneath his other coat. I'm not sure. Who cares at this point? The point is that at that point, he's already gotten rid of that handgun that's on his poster, on the Terminator poster, which is called an ATM Hardballer. 45 long slide and that's the one with the uh, laser sighting a little trivia thing here they talk about how at that time you know the the laser sightings were not that powerful or at least you couldn't really see them that well for a film so they actually had a power source running up his arm you know a cable generating enough power you know to create that beam that we see in the movie but anyway that doesn't come with it so who cares what comes with it is a Let's see, a Smith & Wesson Model 15 revolver, uh, which is supposed to be, uh, I guess, like a cop gun. A lot of the cops have it. Uh, a lot of the other characters at some point use it. But he apparently has one when he's on that motorcycle chase at the end and he's ran out of ammunition on his other weapons. He takes out this gun and starts shooting with it. You know, it's a standard cop-looking gun because apparently most of the cops there have that, that kind of weapon. Then the second weapon that he has is a 
Franchi Spaz 12, S-P-A-S 12. And this is that um, kind of like a shotgun type of thing without the that back piece that goes in your shoulder. Again, it's from the police station scene. It's the, the one that he, there's plenty of pictures and, and photographs and it's an iconic, you know, pose kind of thing where he holds it out straight while he's holding another one on the side. Well, this particular one, that's one of the ones that come with the figure. What's it? Oh, it's called a stock. It's called a no stock 12 gauge. I see. Ah, see, I learn something new every day. That's the one he has and comes with the figure. Then he also has, here we go, an Armalite AR-18, again, without the stock, and what looks like to be a clip on the bottom that has, I forget what you call it, but they, they tape like two clips together with electrical tape, so you can just kind of flip them upside down and continue reloading. That one he also has on his other arm. Again, the reason why they picked these weapons is because it's from that sequence. That sequence, the majority of the shots on that sequence have all of those particular uh, weapons attached to them. I would definitely recommend visiting that website if you have a chance because it is, it, it's amazing the amount of research that people do and it gives you all these other weapons. There's, you know, the cops have a lot of guns, obviously, and there's a, couple, a lot of different guns. And they also show you some of these futuristic guns, how they're based on existing models, but they've been modified and repurposed weapons also. You know, there's so much cool stuff in there. But anyway, this isn't a review of the website. This is a review of the figure. The box of the figure, because you guys know I like packaging, has an excellent front cover. This is one of those book-type uh, boxes that you can open the flap and then look inside the figure. But the, the cover says Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, and it uses not your typical, but one of the, I guess you could call it your B or C level art. It's one of these unused pieces that gets repurposed. You know, this, this ha sometimes happens with the DVD covers. Uh, I've seen this before where a DVD cover will have a piece of art that I've never seen before. And this is one of them. And and that's one of the things when I saw the name Terminator on the spine, you know, at the store, and then I'm like, Terminator? I'm like, you usually don't see Terminator. You always see Terminator 2. And it's usually the endoskeleton type uh, that you see. But anyway, I looked at the cover. I'm like, wait a minute. Are they actually doing the leather jacket version? And I was like, wow. So I open it up. And you have the figure in there, obviously, with all the parts and pieces, you know, attached to the sides. And then there's a big picture off to the back of the cover of him being posed in that, again, in that traditional, iconic movie pose. The back of the, uh, of the box, the total back of the box, you have more poses of the figure with a lot of the alternate heads, you know, in different poses. There is no, like, movie text in terms of describing what the figure is in you know in terms of like hey nick uh proudly presents uh, from the iconic film the you know none of that there is what looks like to be a little bit of that cyborg view text you know with lines of data and then one of the lines that set up move data for vto and catalog to oxman at ttx you know it's all jargon it's all jargon 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 who knows, maybe it means something to the, the people that created this. Way, way, way in the bottom under all the pictures, you do have a, a little thing that says three interchangeable heads, two pairs of hands, two machine guns, and pistol. Nothing else really blows you out of the water from the box. But again, for my perspective of, you know, how I love art on packages, on toy packages, on figures and that sort of thing. This does a pretty good job, you know, showing you what, what you're dealing with. Again, the only thing I would change is give you a little more text, something having to do with what you're, you know, what the figure on your hands is, a little history, you know, a little, hey, this is from that amazing scene of him going into the police station and blah, 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 and this and that. But yeah, going back to the figure, I mean, it's just fantastic. I think you could if you wanted to remove the jacket but the jacket is really only a separate item as far as the vest part of the jacket goes because the arms of the figure are painted black to match the jacket so if you were to remove the jacket you would end up with a figure that has black arms and a gray shirt so that would be kind of odd the jacket is kind of flapping a little bit in the front which is cool and it has the two belts because it's a it's a leather biker jacket basically and the belts are also flapping the boots you can see the 
the chains around the sides of the boots and the back of the boots that's that's fantastic on the back of the figure what's really also cool is that you do see three or four bullet holes in the back of the jacket that are kind of bloody and i don't remember uh, i guess you could say that's from after he's taking a little bit of flack <laughs> you know once he's in the police station uh the front seems pretty undamaged yet oh no i take it back there are some bullet holes in the front the bullet holes don't necessarily match what's inside i don't see any damage inside the the shirt but i do see again if i could remember where the jacket came from i don't think oh on the arm i see there's a bullet hole in the arm on the right arm going back to the head again i am really really impressed mainly at the face they did such a wonderful job and schwarzenegger is the kind of an actor that he's kind of you know he's made for turning into a toy because his cranial features are so prominent for film you know if you think of conan if you think of some of the most iconic films you know this was just the 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 perfect addition you know to his repertoire once he was becoming super super crazy famous like i said before there's very little extra that i i would have done with this figure as far as uh, how to make it better or different this is a complete complete home run when it comes to how good these things are it's just amazing i don't remember i could have swore i've seen the one with him uh, from the beginning of the movie but to me this is the best one because even though it's not the poster you know as far as the live action sequences in the film this is probably one of the 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 best set pieces i mean the 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 film is full of set i mean you got so many uh sequences that are just fantastic and this is one that again i don't know how i missed this i mean this this has apparently been around for like seven years seven or eight years and uh, i completely missed it in the stores i mean maybe it was just order you know maybe it was an exclusive somewhere i have no idea but if i would have seen this earlier i would have picked it up so i highly recommend this NECA figure, if you can find one, one popped up here at a, I think it was at a Walmart out of all places, and I snatched it up right away. One more item I would like to add about the Terminator figure that we just talked about in terms of, I've been trying to figure out the issue of the leather jacket. For some reason, it's been kind of annoying at me in terms of where did the leather jacket come from? (laughs) The film did not have a scene, and I checked where he acquires the leather jacket. The script, the shooting script at least, does not have anything. I read through some of the other earlier drafts of the script, particularly the scene where he walks through the fire exit into the hotel, where he does the you know the changing, the, uh, the fixing up of his face and all that stuff, and he puts on the leather jacket. And I could not find any reference as to when and how and why. Now, through a couple of... Facebook Terminator groups that I have, especially one group called Terminator 2 Official Fan Group. Um, There's probably dozens and dozens of groups. But through that group, the question had come up again. Somebody actually posted the same question that I was asking myself of the, where did the jacket come from? And people were speculating you know a lot of them were like being cynical and this and that as usual when you get a facebook group where people put their opinions but a few people had speculated that okay it's possible that again this we don't see this but it is theoretically possible that he killed whoever was in that room and stole the jacket that's a possibility and possibly maybe even a motorcycle because at some point he's riding a motorcycle so that's a possibility too but one person posted that he read somewhere in the novelization that he had raided like another department store or something and stolen clothes from there. And that's the clothes that he has. So out I went looking for my paperback of the Terminator. And I, I went through the pages, and once again, the pages don't talk about anything having to do with uh, these clothes coming directly from anybody. He just shows up at the hotel that he's been, I guess, sneaking into for a while, and that's what it's there. You know, it's there waiting for him at a certain point. You know, he takes off the bullet-ridden, burned-up <laughs> jacket before he does all those repairs, and uh, and the leather jacket is what he'll put on next. But... Something happened when I started looking into the novel. I wanted to look it up online, and all of a sudden, a different name came up. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Hold on a second. This novel seems different than my novel. My novel, which is the one I bought, good Lord, back in the 80s, 
which nowadays you try to buy this novel on eBay and it's ridiculously priced. It's in the 50s or 60s or 70 dollar range. My novel says The Terminator, novel by Randall Frakes and Bill Wisher. Bill Wisher, I know, is one of the scriptwriters of the Terminator films. And this is the one I read. But on the internet, all of a sudden you see uh, another novel. This is The Terminator, now a great new film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. A novel by Sean Houston. I'm like, what? So I figured, well, is that maybe like an EU version of, of The Terminator? No, this is another novel under the same title by a different author. So I do a little digging around and two different paths come up, which one of them I believe is probably wrong. And they were talking about like unauthorized versions of movie tie-in novels, which like, huh? How do you have an unauthorized version of a movie tie-in novel? I mean, people don't just write stuff and sell it. I mean, you, they would be in jail if they did that. And then another route brought me to something that says that when they were marketing the film, they hired two different writers. One writer to write the American US version of the movie and another writer to write the British version of the movie. I found an article online uh, of an interview basically with Sean Houston. And he talks about how his version of this came from the third draft of the script, which is why it's a little different. Now, there are some reviews posted by a number of different people that talk about how the one I have, the Randall Frakes, Bill Wisher version is much better than the Houston version. And I would love to, you know, read that other one just to see if there's any differences. I kind of went through it just to that section <laughs> to see if there was any more clarification on the jacket and there's not. But from what I understand, the differences in the two novels basically is that, and, and one of the reasons they say that the Frakes Wisher version is better is because they do a lot of more of character backgrounds. They do flesh out the characters a little more. Uh, the Houston version, he's not into that. In the interview, he explains that he did not want to add any more, like too much into the characters because he thought that, you know, that that was fine. The way that they did it, it was fine. And he's a little apparently more into the violence side of des describing, you know, violence in the movie. So that's an interesting twist, you know, in terms of him being a little more graphic. But like I said, I don't want to pay $60, $70 to get a, paperback that I kind of already own, which is that this is a different art. So what I did find once again, if you do a search for the Terminator Sam Houston PDF, there's a website that they post certain books in PDF form where you can just download them and read them. So I was able to download it. And even this Freaks one, the one that I already own, is there too. So if anybody is interested in reading either one of these, do a search and uh, you're probably going to find them. You know, a lot more information on them. Uh, one of the questions that had come up at the time, I remember, had to do with uh, in, the, in, in one of these uh, Facebook groups that somebody was asking, you know, if the Terminator had not uh, heard um, the message, would he just kill all the Sarah Connors, just continue killing them? And then what would he, what would he do afterwards uh, if he didn't know which was which? Well, in one of the books, I believe the one I read, and, and it's there on the, like, if you look at the Terminator wikis and that sort of thing, all the different fan page, pages that are out there, they talk about how, again, you don't see this in the book because they never filmed it, but it was, it might've been on the, um, one of those earlier drafts, I'm not sure, but I do remember hearing something about how after he kills any of the first Sarah Connors, he kneels over them and cuts the leg because he's looking for something in the leg. And you find out later that what he's looking for is a, I don't know, like a titanium screw or something that identifies her as Sarah Connor because she had apparently had an accident when she was younger, roller skating accident or something. But then in the book, I believe they also kind of turn it around so they don't mention anything about that. But they do kind of make it a little bit of a twist on the end of the story where she blows up the Terminator and a piece of his machinery ends up embedded in her leg. So it's kind of like that whole paradox, time travel paradox thing of she's, you know, he's looking for something that she technically doesn't have because she has to kill him in order to have it. So it, it forms a paradox uh, story-wise. But it's a cute little twist. You know, it's, a, it's one of those time travel twists that, you know, the snake eating its own head type of thing, which is kind of neat. Another instance when they kind of do something like this once again in Terminator is towards the end of the film, there's an entire sequence where after that final battle is over and they are, you know, they're taking Sarah away on the, uh, on the ambulance right before that happens, 
there's two people inside that factory and they pick up a computer chip off the floor around the area where they were fighting. And one says to the other something about how, oh, this is a really unusual looking computer chip. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Take it to the lab tomorrow and, you know, take it apart. See what it's, you know, what it, what it is. It's really unusual. And they're, they're kind of hiding it from the cops that are walking around there. And then it's supposed to cut to her getting into the ambulance. The doors closed. The ambulance rides away. And you see that they're at Cyberdyne Systems. So according to that... It's as if, you know, they're starting the invention, I guess, of the Terminators within Cyberdyne. However, there's also another deleted scene that I'm going to post the, the links to the, to the scene because it's, it's really amazing. I've, I completely have forgotten about these. Where after Sarah and Kyle are on the run and, you know, before they get to that motel, they're like out in the in the woods kind of part of Los Angeles or California somewhere. She rips a page out of the um, white pages after she's talking to her mom on the phone. And it's funny because she tells her mom to head to the cabin without Kyle knowing. And we know that eventually the Terminator heads to the cabin himself waiting for the phone call from Sarah. And he's already killed her mom or her grandmother. I forget it, you know, in the final film, which, which it is. But in this deleted scene, it's her mother. But anyway, she rips off a page from the phone book and she shows it to Kyle and says, look, here it is. And it says Cyberdyne Systems on the page. And she tells him, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we go there and destroy it? This way we can prevent the future from happening. Which, again, you know, it, it leads to a couple of more scenes, a couple of more, you know, dialogue in between the two. He's not into it and she wants to do it, you know, and that kind of thing. But once again, we have a situation here where those two scenes were eliminated on purpose because I think it provided too much of that twist the paradox twist was way, way, way too blatant at this point, you know, to keep these scenes. But at least the scenes made it all the way, you know, past script into actually shooting them, as opposed to the this other one that I was just talking about. Now, one more final little detail uh, that I found while putting together this show, and then, and then I promise I will I'll be quiet about Terminator. <laughs> Is that when I was looking for a trailer to put at the end, for, you know, for the the closing soundbite, the closing trailer that I usually put on the uh, shows that I put together, I downloaded the teaser for Terminator, not the trailer. I, I've used the the trailer before. I'm not sure if I've ever used the teaser, but one blatant thing that I noticed is that the trailer keeps referring to the movie as Terminator, not the Terminator. By the time we get to the official trailer, it's the Terminator. So. Again, another little interesting tidbit that somewhere along the line, they had to add the word the, you know, to the film. So unfortunately, like I said, I did not find the information I was looking for. But as usual, the internet took me down a rabbit hole that <laughs> I wasn't expecting to go. But it's cool little information. Just a little preview that I was so intrigued by this figure that we talked about before that I ended up finding and purchasing the other Terminator figure, the one of him with the gray coat and the non-spiky hair. And we're going to talk about that one in a future show. All right. I'd like to thank you guys for listening today. We started off with our Star Wars poster, that Macquarie noble poster <laughs> that I was able to get, which again, is there's so much history behind them and, and, and so much information have to do with the making of these posters. And, you know, they're not all home runs and there there's plenty of criticisms that I find on some of them. And, and but overall, it's it, I, I love I absolutely love this poster. I wish there were more. I wish there were uh, more things like this that, uh, you know, you could find that could get, you know, added on later. And I know a lot of Star Wars properties do that. They are able to go back, grab old Macquarie stuff and repurpose it for the future products, future lines. Uh, so I, I do love when they do that. Then we talked about the uh, Terminator uh, NECA figure, which... Again, came out of nowhere. I, I had no idea it was available, and, and I absolutely love it. I showed you guys all the different uh, accessories and stuff that came with it. And then the rabbit hole we kind of started chasing, uh, having to do with where the jacket come from, and why is it this way, and why is it that way, and where's the scripts, and where's that, and where's the written, where's the... <laughs> it is the definition of a rabbit hole and where it took us. But anyway, once again, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody.
future where men must hide underground has come a machine wrapped in flesh kills but cannot be killed Arnold Schwarzenegger is Terminator an assassin from the 21st century sent back through time his target is a woman who holds the key to the future her only hope is a soldier who has hunted the Terminator from the future into the present. It's not a man. Machine. Terminator. What does it want to be? It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop. Until you are dead. Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator. Terminator. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone. Copyright 2023. <laughs>